Hello. It was my mother-in-law's birthday recently, and with 89 summers notched on her belt, but still fit as the proverbial butcher's dog, we took her on an outing to the Royal Mint, manufacturer of everything from coinage to commemorative medals, not only for good old Blighty, but also, to my surprise, for many other countries around the world. Our genial young tour guide addressed us in a mesmerising Welsh lilt that held the attention as if each word was encapsulated in buttercream. Sue, he teased deliciously, how many coins are made here? Go on, have a guess. He withstood the barrage of responses before raising his hands in mock despair. No, you're all miles away. It's... This last bit he said in hushed reverence. It's ninety million! And then, at the critical juncture, just before the gasp subsided, he added his masterstroke. That's per week. <laughs> Amazing. Having been London-centric for centuries, the mint outgrew the capital, and a list of possible sites was drawn up for a move beyond its confines. By 1967, 18 different locations were earmarked across the UK with even the Highlands and Islands Development Board staking a claim on behalf of Inverness. Its new home was Thlantricent, near Cardiff, thanks in no small part to James Callaghan, who, prior to holding office as Prime Minister for three years from 1976, was Chancellor of the Exchequer and thus Master of the Mint from 1964 to 1967, and the man who announced decimalisation, with all that entailed for the Mint, in 1966. According to our guide, he's reputed to have said, I don't care where the Royal Mint goes as long as it's somewhere in the Welsh Valleys. A bold move politically, but I wonder if it was not influenced by some prescient acknowledgement by he, who for unrelated reasons attracted the soubriquet Sonny Jim, having already seen the writing writ large on the wall for the grim future of the Valleys and their lifeblood industry that was yet to come. The journey to Thlantricent from the barn is via Brecon and then out towards the heads of the Valleys Road. Eschewing the newer main road, we took the winding and infinitely more scenic route across the hills. The track rises through hypnotic moorland before turning sharply and dropping to the valley below. And here, for those like me, who had never seen it before, an extraordinary view unfolds. A verdant gorge stretching into the distance Yet embedded in its heel, the towns and villages of Tinwed, Treherbert, Treorki, yes, the same one that's home to the fabulous male voice choir, the names trip off the tongue like a Dylan Thomas travelogue, all individual but forming a continuous narrow ribbon. Looking down from several hundred feet above this breathtaking sight, it appears as if some giant hand has trickled an enormous ladle of liquid grey along the V at the bottom of two sloping slabs of green that stretched to infinity and beyond. Descending into this visual contradiction, you travel through brick and concrete for mile after mile, overshadowed by the towering hills sloping upwards on either side. For the uninitiated, it is a visually challenging juxtaposition that seems to encapsulate man's endeavours to master his surroundings. As indeed these good folks did, for this is the very heart of the Welsh coal industry. Or, more accurately, it was. 
King Cole, once invincible, has been deposed. What may or may not have usurped his majesty is for another day, but there are now at least two generations with no direct memory of what once held sway here, and the casual visitor might not readily identify some of the lush slopes in their former guise as monumental spoil heaps, monolithic remnants of a vibrant industry that helped fuel the world. Oh, there's still very much a welcome in the hillside, but these days it emanates from a voice denuded of coldest. The jury is still out on the merits of that one, although I'll make a fair guess at what the judgement is around these parts. It is, of course, not only Wales where the overthrow of King Cole had such a weighty effect on the populace and environment, and into the mix go the coal fields of East Midlands, the northeast of England, Scotland and elsewhere. Though, it must be said, not all effects are negative. A consequence of the mass closure of the coal mines is, by logical extension, fewer of the once ubiquitous mining tragedies. A somewhat perverse and self-fulfilling statistic, if ever there was. The black country suffered similarly in the wake of coal's demise. Although, through a quirk of plate tectonics that exposed our seams near to the surface, much of our coal mining was of the open cast variety, we did have our deep mines to exploit the famous ten-yard seam that permeates the region. The size of the seam itself is of peculiar significance, since there are different rates of pay for working thin or thick coal. We, too, have journeyed far since 1824, when Thomas Carlyle wrote of the black country, A frightening scene. A dense cloud of pestilential smoke hangs over it forever, and at night the whole region burns like a volcano spitting fire from a thousand tubes of brick. But, oh, the wretched thousands of mortals who grind out their destiny there. <laughs> oh, yes, how it has all changed. Our last deep coal mine to close was Baggeridge. Its gates were finally shut on the 1st of March 1968, so no one currently below their mid-50s will have direct recollection of the black country deep mining industry. Today, Baggeridge is unrecognisable from half a century ago. Part of the estate of the Earls of Dudley, it now enjoys its new role as 150 acres of delightful country park. Wales recalls its heritage through the likes of the Big Pit National Coal Museum at Blynabbon, whereas in Dudley the Black Country Living Museum offers the Into the Thick Drift Mine experience. The name speaks for itself on that one. There are other similar experiences to be had around the country, and by and large, these represent the closest that most of us will ever have of understanding at first hand how their not-too-distant relatives once earned a crust. Yet still, we are touched by it. People remember, sometimes to the extent they can never forget. And I see an analogy to when our Queen Mother died back in 2002. Born in 1900, she was destined to be around forever, or so it seemed. For millions of us, she was part of the fabric that intertwined with our own lives in offering some sort of social cohesion, and her loss was felt profoundly across virtually the entire nation. Even though, and here's the curiosity, the bulk of that same nation had never so much as clapped eyes on her in person. Clearly, it's not a prerequisite of association to be affected by loss. When the mines went, a nation mourned the bulk of that same nation never having set foot in one. Yet something indefinable simultaneously disappeared with them that we have yet to recoup. Or 
to forget. The Royal Mint at Flantrissant helped revitalise at least part of the valleys. We may never know if Sonny Jim succinctly predicted this, or whether he acted on an acute sense of political acumen, but his judgement ultimately speaks for itself. Ditto for Baggeridge and any number of other communities around the country where the acceptance of inevitability has morphed into a determination to move on. But without for a moment losing sight of a rousing heritage that, though now long past, still sustains the welcome in our own hillsides. Enjoy your black country and do join me again soon for more Tales from the Barn.